This is a Federal News Network podcast. Few thought implementing the Defense Department's Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, or CMMC, program would be a walk in the park. It's big and ambitious, after all. But no one thought scrutiny, rework, and all that would come this fast. In his weekly feature, The Reporter's Notebook, executive editor Jason Miller writes about the board members leaving and how Congress is applying its microscope to the CMMC effort. Jason joins me now with the latest. And Jason, let's start with just a quick reminder of what the CMMC is and why it's gotten so much attention, because it involves pretty much anyone connected to the Defense Department. Absolutely. Now, the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification came really from the Congress and said, hey, we see problems in the supply chain. How can DOD improve its supply chain? And and one main suggestion was to create, if you will, a set of standards that can be applied across the board to defense industrial base or defense contractors. And this has been ongoing for the better part of a year and a half now. The, The final set of standards uh, are out. They're starting to do some training, and they're trying to get it in the first set of contracts later this year as what they call pathfinders. Between 10 and 15 contracts will include the CMC requirements, so you need roughly 10 to 15, maybe more than that, vendors who have been through the process and have been approved, have gotten the certification, if you will, uh, under under the standards. Now, Tom, this has been so popular because, as you're right, it's going to affect, I think DOD estimated something like 350,000 contractors eventually. Because it's not just prime contractors, but it's subcontractors. And it's really anybody who potentially does business with the Defense Department or Defense Department contractors. So even if you don't directly deal with the Defense Department, but you deal with a Lockheed Martin, a Boeing, a Raytheon, you pick the name, you may still have CMMC apply to you. And I think that's why this has been both industry, Congress, and the government has been paying so much attention. And this whole thing is kind of set up in a way like a FedRAMP for the supply chain. The goal is to make it where that it's not just self-certification, but there's a third party looking at the vendor saying, yes, you meet a certain baseline of standards. Yes, you are impact level one or impact level two, and it goes all the way up to five, obviously. And I think that's really what people are so upset about or concerned about, I should say, is how's that going to affect me? What do I need to do to get there? And Tom, the first mover status, just like FedRAMP, is a big concern for a lot of vendors. Well, what if my competitor gets it before me? What do I do? That puts me in, in a tough spot. And then how will, if I'm going after a contract that needs to, that has CMMC requirements in it, how fast can the advisory board, the third party certifiers, the trainers get all that done so I can bid on this contract? A lot of unknowns out there. I think you heard this uh, earlier in the week from Larry Allen. Uh, there's a lot of known unknowns, but so those questions are answered. We're going to, a lot of, a lot of vendors are going to be in a tough spot. Yeah. You're starting to sound like Rumsfeld here a little bit. And uh, you mentioned this board, and now the board members are already leaving. What's going on there? So the CMMC Advisory Board is a group of private sector experts who have gotten together to help DOD implement this. They're going to be in charge of the training and the third-party assessment organizations, really set it up the infrastructure so vendors, so defense contractors can get certified. And just in the last week or so, we've learned two two people have left. John Weiler, who's the CEO of the IT Acquisition Advisory Committee, and Jim Gopal, who's the CEO and General Counsel for Fathom Cyber, uh, are both now leaving the board. Now, uh, my understanding is Jim Gopal's leaving on his own accord. They're both leaving on their own accord, but Jim's leaving for personal reasons, while John Weiler decided actually to set up a if you will, a center of excellence for CM- CMMC, kind of working with the advisory board in a new way, the, both uh, John's group, ITAC, ITAAC, 
and uh, the, the advisory board have signed a memorandum of understanding to really provide some training, to really get the word out better about CMMC implementation. Now, John, as you know, the, Tom is a lightning rod of sorts. He does not hold his tongue. He is well known for uh, uh, stirring the pot, and a lot of people are frustrated with him because of how much he stirs the pot. At the same time, I think there's a lot of passion there that says this is why he wants to stay involved in the CMMC because he sees this as a good thing. Uh, but uh, I think the board members they each have different reasons why they're leaving. But it's a little surprising that 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 you have at least two, if not more, leaving so quickly. Yeah, you can never charge John Weiler with not caring. That's for sure. We're speaking with Federal News Network's executive editor, Jason Miller. Now, what about Congress? They must be looking at this now with all of this royal and royal going on here in CMMC. Initially, this was Congress's idea, create a standard, and that's what DOD did. But now Congress is saying, okay, well, how are you doing with this standard? And, and Tom, there are nine provisions in the 2021 Defense Authorization Bill, six in the Senate, three in the House, that really deal with this CMMC. I went through the legislation, and I'm not going to tell you all nine provisions, but there are several that are very similar in both bills. One of them is for actually DOD to bring up their own what they call cyber hygiene to a level three under CMMC. The committee says, and this is both the House and the Senate have similar provisions, basically saying, hey, if you're going to recognize that the the defense industrial base needs to meet a certain level of standards, hey, shouldn't you too? Shouldn't you address your mission challenges? Shouldn't you bring up these best practices and DOD has even testified and, and GAO has looked at them and said, Hey, you are, you know, DOD as a organization, now it's a huge organization. We know that is struggling to, with its own cyber hygiene. And we're talking about Tom, things like configuration management, patching of vulnerable systems, just dealing with some of the basics. The second one that uh, is very similar is really an update on the CMMC implementation. Both the House and the Senate want different reports. The House wants a report from the Acquisition and Sustainment Office within DOD by January 15th. They want to address nine different topics, including the cost to the department for CMMC expenses, which will be, Tom, good point here, allowable costs on government contracts. So so basically a vendor who achieves CMMC certification can charge the government for that process. Yeah, that's been a big bugaboo for contractors because they know it's going to cost them, and they've been wondering – how much and whether they can get reimbursement from the government for that. Right, and that's one of the things I think the House lawmakers want to know is what's this going to cost DOD. There's also things like discussion of roles and liabilities and protections, as well as the accreditation board, how they're going to prioritize requests for defense industrial-based members to get certified. Very similar concerns about, you mentioned FedRAMP and the Joint Authorization Board. The Senate bill, meanwhile, is asking for the Government Accountability Office to evaluate CMMC, looking at different perspectives, including oversight, role of non-government entities, and, 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 and lessons learned from the pilot program. So those are just a couple of the provisions that are really overlapping that we'll probably see some sort of uh, mishmash of them in the final defense authorization bill. That cost effort, though, I wonder a little bit about because a company should have good cybersecurity. And if you want to do business with the government or with any large organization that has sensitive data, and that's pretty much all of them, it would seem that you would want to have that CMMC, if not in name, but at least in capability, on board anyhow. That's a fair point. But I think the difference here, Tom, is, well, I'm going to self-attest to it, which is what has been the case. And that's what Katie Arrington, who's uh, been the, the, the chief information security officer for Acquisition Sustainment, has been talking about. It's one thing when you self-attest to it, like required under NIST 800-171. It's another thing when you say, now you have to go through a third party and prove it. 
Now, she says, listen, if you've already self-attested that you're at least level one under 800-171, then proving it shouldn't be that hard. But as you get to level two, three, four, five, that becomes more difficult. And I think that's where things become costly because it's a risk decision, Tom. You may think, well, I need to do these five things. And I, at DOD, may say, nope, you got to do seven things. Well, those that, that differential, that gap will cost you money to, re- to get to that, that that the other two controls you need. And I think that's where the concern is around cost. Sort of reminds me of the old Fruit of the Loom television ad where the woman pops up and says, it's not Fruit of the Loom until I say it's Fruit of the Loom. And I guess she could have been a third-party certifier for CNBC. I think she may have been. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's switch gears a little bit, but uh, it's still related, and that is the documentation coming from Homeland Security for the Trusted Internet Connections 3.0 program. I don't know anybody in the vendor community that is not interested in how this is all going to break down it is one of my favorite topics one that i've been covering since the beginning almost 2007 so we're talking about almost 13 14 years now since that first memo from omb and what the Cybersecurity infrastructure security agency cisa released on friday was three big important documents the final program guidebook the final reference architecture and the final security capabilities catalog now there are still three more documents that are coming including the use cases which will be really important for how agencies can start to implement tick 3.0 and then also we're also going to see a, a few other topics come out like the 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 overlay handbook which how tick overlays with other security uh, concerns those are all come out later this summer now tom the the key point here about TIC 3.0 is the goal is to make it more flexible, less prescriptive, but still secure when using cloud services or off-premise services. One of the big complaints with previous versions of TIC was it really created a, a, a much arduous approach to getting to cloud services. You have to go out to the cloud and then come back in through the TIC then go back to the, the application or to you could access the application that way. And what TIC 3.0 is saying is we still want rigor, we still want the application, the data to be secured, but how you get to that end result is, is much different than, than previously. And these three documents get going. And let me just go offer you one highlight, I think, uh, about these, these documents. First of all, they got about 500 comments since last December when they put them out initially for draft. The CISA identified co- five common themes around all those comments. For instance, the alignment across cyber programs, support from DHS, and details and context for the terminology, make sure that everyone's on the same page. One of those big areas, Tom, is trust zones. We talk a lot about zero trust frameworks. We talk a lot about this idea of it's it's not the the system you're protecting, but it's the identity of the person, the roles and responsibilities that they have to go into an application to get data or whatever. So that being said, what CISA did was, was created these ideas of trust zones. How does that fit into the TIC 3.0? And there's a lot more details there, high, medium, low, sample orchestrations, controls, transparency, verification. And I think that's really going to help agencies understand how to implement TIC in a different way. Additionally, there's some major changes to the security capabilities catalog that used to be called the security capabilities handbook. Maybe we're just playing semantics here, but basically what what the security capabilities catalog is doing is really focused on six criteria to help agencies make better risk-based decisions about what capabilities they need the best to to meet the goals and objectives of TIC 3.0. So fundamentally, though, the way I read it is that when TIC was first conceived, there was not much cloud, and so it had a data-centric feeling to it or architecture to it with the idea that you could go through one gateway in and out of the agency to the internet. 
But with the advent of cloud and all of these other pathways in and out, and now there's all these VPNs going because of all the telework and so on, Tick needed to turn away from simply a connection mechanism to almost an architecture for cybersecurity. I think that's a fair idea of where to, what, what the challenge of TIC has been. If you remember, Tom, Karen Evans, who was over at OMB at the time, when she wrote the memo, the goal was to get down to like 50 internet gateways across the entire government. And soon, I think uh, Karen and others within the federal government started to say, maybe 50 is too little, maybe it's 100. Well, maybe it's not about internet gateways, and it's about this idea of securing the data of the application and, and making it easier to make that connection without losing any rigor. And I think earlier versions of TIC, you're right, they, they looked at the, as things have changed, that didn't fit into the new model. And I think that's why the 3.0 model is so important. So many vendors and others are really paying close attention. And Tom, these three of the first six documents are going to be well read across the community because this will get the process rolling faster. Federal News Network's Jason Miller, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Check out his reporter's notebook now online at federalnewsnetwork.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.